Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 23 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things you must admit it's not so palatable as the verses that we have been looking at uh, although they were a challenge as well we've entered tonight into a new section uh, of this epistle a section really that will take us all the way into chapter 3 and uh, right up to verse 20 and it's a section that basically outlines the state and the plight of humanity and the inability of man in whatever capacity or whatever endeavour is inability to escape from or remedy you know it's, um, it's, it's a sad the next few verses of chapter 1 the whole of chapter 2 and half of chapter 3 are a sad indictment on the human race you know and there's no getting away from it I don't suppose we need even need the Bible to tell us what humanity is capable of today um, and the reason why it's capable of that we will see in the word of God it's almost like reading the newspaper it is basically like reading the newspaper and we'll be um, used to that I think over the next few weeks as we look at this passage of scripture you know last week if you remember I highlighted Paul's legalistic list he has a legalistic list we saw it in Philippians chapter 3 if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law of Pharisee concerning zeal I persecuted the church concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless that's Paul's boast before he came to know the Lord as his saviour this is what he trusted in for his salvation for his uh, being clothed with God's righteousness Lord this is my legalistic list this is why you should allow me into your heaven. These are the things that I use to get myself righteous before you. It has to do with my birth. It has to do with my status. It has to do with my religion. The disciplines that I put myself through. The morality which I have practiced. 
You want to remember I added a few things. I talked about church attendance could be what we would say today. Lord, I went to Emmanuel three times a week for 30 years. Surely that's enough to get me into heaven. Lord, I prayed for 4 o'clock to 8 o'clock every morning. Surely that's enough to get me into heaven. Lord, I read your Bible from cover to cover every year that I was born. Surely that's enough for the righteousness of God to rest upon me. Charity. I've given my all to charity. Surely that's enough for the righteousness of God. And yes, we talked last week about our faith. You know, we could boast even about our faith. And if we trust in our faith to get us into heaven, if we trust in our faith to make us righteous before God, then that also is wrong. I said that if any one of those things including faith, are what you are trusting in for your salvation, then we are lost. You are lost. None of those things will bring salvation. None of those things will clothe us in the righteousness of God. And that's what we looked at last week. And now we're entering into a section where Paul has changed. You see, that was his boast. That was his trust. That was his endeavor. That was his desire to impress God with some of the things that were true of him. But from now on, we're entering into a section where Paul shoots down the whole of our legalistic list. Bit by bit, he undermines all the righteousness that we have in ourselves. He underlines all the endeavor, the morality, the spirituality that we present to God. He undermines it over the next two, two and a half chapters. All the support systems that we put in place as human beings, all our morality, our charity, our endeavor, our religiosity, Paul says it's rubbish. And he tells us why over these next few verses. Right up until verse 20 of chapter 3, where he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the, by the law is but the knowledge of sin. The law can't save us. And nothing that we can do could ever bring us into a living relationship with God. Because we will remain unrighteous. Unless Christ clothes us with his. Now the section that we are embarking on tonight starts with a revelation. And if you remember, the last section that we finished last week finished with a revelation. Last week it was the, uh, the righteousness of God that is revealed. You saw it, in, it says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. But you, for the wrath of God is revealed. For the wrath of God. So last week it was righteousness. This week, it's the wrath of God. i be honest, I don't see any difference between the wrath of God and the righteousness of God. I tell you why. Both chill me to the bone. Both condemn me to an eternity of God 
forsaken us. Both present me with an impossible undertaking. The righteousness of God shows me how far below his standard I have fallen. And the wrath of God tells me that there's a consequence for it. So basically speaking, there's no difference. The righteousness of God is unattainable. The wrath of God is unthinkable. So why on earth does he bring this up at this point? You know, after last week when we talked of the righteousness of God and how uh, chilling it really can become, surely there are more positive things to talk about as far as God is concerned. Of course, there's His love. There's always His love. You know, there is so much in the Scriptures about His love. And surely tonight, it is more in keeping with who God is if we talk about his love. Didn't John tell us in, uh, in 1 John, and we studied it all through last year, that God is love. God is love. Wouldn't it be so much better, so, more, so much more profitable for us to talk about the love of God? Because there is love. He is love. Do you know that um, in the book of Romans... We're going to have to wait until chapter 5 before Paul gets around to talking about God's love. It's a great chapter because it talks about the love of God being uh, shown to us through the sacrifice of His Son. It's going to be an amazing sermon that Thursday night, sometime in the future. Chapter 5, I think it's verse 8, will tell us wonderful things about the love of God. But we're going to have to wait until chapter 5 before Paul talks of God's love. Because there's His grace. Why can't we talk about His grace tonight? His grace is wonderful. It's amazing. We sing it so often. You know, we could wax eloquent concerning His grace. Surely, Paul, let's be more positive. Let's be more warm and comforting and talk about his grace but do you know apart from the salutations of this epistle we will have to wait until we enter into the next section before we are again introduced to God's amazing grace well what about his mercy then surely his mercy is much more beneficial to us than wrath Surely we can say that uh, with James, I think it is. That his mercy has triumphed over judgment. His mercy has triumphed over judgment. Now there's a sermon. There's something for us to talk about. There's something to warm the cockles of our heart. Let's talk about his mercy. But I'm afraid that if we're going to talk about his mercy, we're going to have to wait until chapter 9 before we, Paul ever thinks about the mercy of God before we know anything and we have the same uh, weight before we know anything of his compassion for Paul it's God's wrath that comes first it's God's wrath you know it's very unusual but I think Paul wants us to know our need he wants us to know the dilemma that we find ourselves in he wants the world to understand the plight in which it finds itself in, in relationship to God. And when you think about it, 
Doesn't that make the most sense? You know, when I was working in Ensel, we had, over the seven years that I was there, we had a number of fire seminars. How to cope with fire, uh, how to spot the problems and the difficulties, how to make sure that things didn't, fire didn't start and, and things to look out for. You know, and um, there was always, it always started with a short film. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in your workplace, you've ever been um, subjected to fire seminars, but that's the, the, the sort of the format. They start off with a short film. Now, what is that film going to be about? What is that film going to tell us? Let's think. Do you know that I always look forward to a little notice outside the fire station which says charity car wash? Because you can go there and you can pay £2 to have your car washed. When if you were a Porth or Pentler, it would cost you a fiver. And firemen are so uh, sort of there. They, they there with their hose pipes and their sponges and their soap and they wash the car so wonderful. Do you know I've been to car boot sales in the grounds of fire stations. I've been to open days and summer fates. They're all part of the makeup of the fire brigade. But do you know the film that we used to have in these fire seminars, none of those things showed up in any of them. You know, it wasn't a wonderful little story about charity, car wash, and how much they earned for some charity or another. It wasn't about the car boot sale that they had last Sunday, or the fate, or the open day. It was about the destructive power of fire. That's what the short film was about. The destructive power of fire. The extreme consequences that fire brings. The maiming, the scarring, and the death that fire brings. These are the things that appeared in these short films. No family days, but families torn apart by the pain of fire. You know, this is the plight. And fireman Sam wanted me to know that straight away. There's a danger in fire. There's a peril there. It's extreme. And it does terrible, terrible things to us. You know, and it was that, and only that, which would concentrate our minds on the safety that this fire officer was trying to instill in us. And Paul, Paul wants us to know about the love of God. Of course he does. He wants us to know about the grace and the mercy of God. He wants us to understand the compassion of God. But first, first and foremost, he wants us to know where we actually stand in relationship with God. First, he wants us to know that God's righteousness condemns us. And his wrath is quite literally upon us. You're one of my most favorite verses in the scripture. It's found in Ephesians. Chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespass and sins, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have being saved. Now that to me says it all. It has it all. It has mercy. It has love. 
It has grace. You know, you can't get a more comforting verse, a more comforting picture of God anywhere else in the scriptures. It's my favorite verse, or one of them. But go back a verse. Go back a verse. Just one verse. And you'll see why such a verse brings such relief to my soul. And you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. <coughs> the wrath of God. The wrath of God. No wonder verse 4 comes as blessed relief. No wonder the love of God pours in and warms the cockles of your heart. No wonder mercy is such a, 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 a darling to embrace. No wonder grace fills us and amazes us. Why? Well, because we dwell under the wrath of God. We are children of wrath, destined to feel the rough edge of God's wrath in eternity. The wrath of God. Do you know Jesus talks about the wrath of God? Do you know that person, gentle Jesus, meek and mild? The one who doesn't say boo nor bar to anyone when you listen to an awful lot of preaching. But listen to what he says. He says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Jesus said that. Was it an unguarded moment? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he said that because he wants us to know just like Paul what is God is actually like his wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness you and the world needs to know about the wrath of God do you know the world can quote the love of God better than you and I but it knows precious little about the wrath of God. I tell you why. Because love. Because the wrath of God. Comes as a revelation. Just the same as the righteousness of God. Came as a revelation in the last verse. So the wrath of God. Comes as a revelation to us. For the wrath of God. Is revealed. From heaven. Against all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of men. Who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness. How is it revealed? Where is it revealed? How can we look and see what it means? You know what, first and foremost, of course, the wrath of God is revealed in the declaration of God. Do you know that the first recorded conversation that God had with man included a revelation of his wrath? You see what it says? And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die it's a bit rough it's got a bit of a cold edge to it 
That's the first thing God said to us. He didn't even say hello. He said, look, I've given you all this. It's yours to enjoy for the rest of eternity. Go and enjoy it and be fruitful and multiply and enjoy all the blessings of the Lord. But there's a tree by there. Don't touch it or you'll die. And that's the wrath of God being revealed against all unrighteousness. Death. You are poor old Adam. Only then he was born. And he was already facing death. Although death wasn't a part of his makeup. Wasn't a part of his destiny. If he had trodden the straight and narrow, he would never have known what death was. You and I would never have known what death was. I wouldn't know what to do in my time in a week. If Adam hadn't sinned. You know, of course, this is seen in, uh, in its extreme, I suppose, in the Ten Commandments, the law. And uh, Paul tells us in, uh, in this epistle that we're dealing with, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. The law brings about wrath. There was only one law Adam had, and that was don't eat of the tree. There was only one consequence, you will die. It was pretty black and white. When we was in Bible college, we used to have uh, Mr. Clemens from Trinity in Tonopandi used to come in once a week and take us in ethics, Christian ethics. I remember when we had an exam, and you, you, he puts a couple of topics on the paper, and you were to say how you would ethically deal with it. And I did this, these essays on these, or little essays on these questions or these topics that he brought, and on the bottom of my paper when he marked it, it said, a typical valley boy response. <laughs> a typical valley boy response to all the things that he had said about. Ethics is the, it's the most strangest um, lesson you could ever, because um, I know we don't try it, but we're all sort of uh, motivated by the situation that we find ourselves in. And there's an awful lot of situation ethics in it. In fact, when, you know, probably people in, in, uh, in the same class from England, from sort of leafy southern England, would, would put Margaret Thatcher on, on a statue on a plinth up there. Whereas a typical Ronda boy who worked down the pit would probably put her down there a little. You know, there is situation ethics. No black and white at all. It's how you feel, how you've been affected by the, the person uh, or the situation uh, in consideration. But in, the, in the, the Garden of Eden, there was no situation ethics at all. It was black and white. God said, don't. And he says, if you do, you'll die. You can't get more black and white than that. Then, of course, we can see the wrath of God revealed in his actions. You know, the Old Testament is full of incidents where God's wrath is poured out on people and situations. Of course, you have to refer to the flood. Noah's flood. It's an amazing revelation of God's wrath. You know, I, I think if we sat back and thought about the actual loss of life that took place when God flooded the whole world, we would be aghast, amazed as to how many people actually lost their lives in Noah's flood. It's an amazing revelation of God's wrath. And that's 
For sure. You know, I suppose that that's the reason why it's maligned and mocked. You know, if you went out into the streets today and preached about Noah and the flood, you will be laughed to scorn. Even if you only hinted that it was a reality. Could it be that it prefigures the judgment of all flesh that is to come at the end time and no one wants to go there? People would rather bury their head in the sand than think about the flood and what it prefigures. The fire that comes next time. No one would want to go there. You know, Sodom and Gomorrah would be another instance when the wrath of God amazes us that God could wipe out two cities and leave three people running away to safety. That's incredible. You only think about the cities that, that, uh, that we know. Can you imagine if Cardiff was wiped off the face of the earth tomorrow or we could even think about uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki think of the, the loss of life that took place there and God did that to Sodom and Gomorrah perhaps they weren't as big cities as, as we would expect today but they were still cities and they were still communities and they were still families and yet God's wrath fell upon them in one go the extreme wickedness of those cities came up into his nostrils and the wrath of God was poured out against them you know we could think also and I was just standing here about the, the firstborn of the Egyptians on that fateful night when the Israelites daubed the blood on the posts and their firstborn were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb but you see the poor Egyptians none of their firstborn were saved you know they had raised their fist to God they had mocked him, they had scorned him they turned their back on him and they paid with the wrath of God you know we also see the wrath of God in the preaching of his disciples you know from John the Baptist remember John the Baptist was preaching uh, alongside the Jordan and he looked up and saw a brood of vipers, he called them. You know, that's. I wonder if I should try that. Calling my congregation a brood of vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come, he says. You brood of vipers. Not vipers, vipers. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? That was this, one of his first sermons. You know, and then it's Paul, of course, who in this epistle tells this epistle tells us much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And also in Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So we can see it in the proclamation of God as he gives his laws and the consequences of his laws we can see it in the actions of God as he floods the world and destroys cities and slays firstborn we can see it in the preaching of his servants but you know the greatest expression of God's wrath is seen at Golgotha nowhere else is the wrath of God poured out like it was when Christ hung upon a cross Suspended between earth 
unheaven, where the greatest unleashing of God's wrath, the greatest explosion of righteous indignation fell upon one person, the one who was hanging upon a tree, the one who knew no sin, didn't deserve the wrath of God, and yet became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. There he is, hanging between earth and heaven, and upon him is the full-orbed wrath of God that belittles the flood and belittles Sodom and Gomorrah and the slaying of the, the firstborn, belittles the destruction of cities in Canaan, like Jericho and I. And here he is, the pure Son of God, having no sin in him at all, no deceit found in his mouth. And yet the whole of God's wrath comes upon him in an instant and causes him to cry with anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, if he was to go back just 12 hours to the, to the same man, we would see him kneeling in the garden, praying to his father, saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again the second time, he went and prayed saying, Oh my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. Could this cup of God's fierce, be God's fierce wrath, poured out upon sin? I think so. I think so. You know, you go to Revelations, and a number of times, the cup of God's wrath is poured out poured out and here the whole of God's righteous wrath is poured out upon his son what else what else would make the son of God reel with so much distress and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed then he said to them my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death how awesome is the wrath of God that not even the sun could relish its experience but recoiled from it. The wrath of God, it's a reality and it's something that you and I need to understand and need to know. But more than that, the world at large needs to know about the wrath of God. And that's the problem. You see, the subject has become taboo in today's gospel preaching and I got those here gospel preaching in fact there is nothing about the Christian message that, it, that is aided more than the wrath of God no the unbeliever the unbeliever will openly ridicule the wrath of God and they will liken it to the Victorian father who would want to instill in his children the fear so that he can control them you know we see that on films and read it in books how the Victorian father would rule by the rod of fear the cosmic bogeyman perhaps God is the cosmic bogeyman nobody say that to me don't go down there the bogeyman will get you the bogeyman will get you you know and here he is this great man in the sky put a foot wrong 
and he'll send a fireball to you he'll destroy you with the breath of his mouth he'll fry you with the gaze of his righteous eyes yes there is this fear that the unbeliever openly ridicules you know it's a criticism of all religion is that it's based on propagated by such fear you know such a statement would get a thumbs up from Richard Dawkins and many like him that's the attack when they talk about religion it's something on the one hand that people need for a crutch and on the other hand it's propagated by this bogeyman in the sky who doesn't want to do nothing else except spoil your life that's outside you can understand that because, re- because the wrath of God comes as a revelation but they, the wrath of God needs to be revealed to people outside how is it revealed to people outside the same way as the righteousness of God is revealed to people outside through the preaching of the gospel so if we preach the gospel and it doesn't include the wrath of God they'll never know anything about it anything at all about it you know I've become uh, I've started to look at i got to be honest I've got no idea how Facebook works no idea at all I, I can click on something and I get everybody's message comes into my box and I can reel up and see all these different stories and videos and stuff of people I've never met before and there's an awful lot of Christian material wrapped up in this big long column that, can, that goes on for infinity unless it's on a loop you know, and it's, you know I get so that I don't notice I'm repeating myself and there's all these uh, wonderful sayings about Jesus you know and I scroll down for ages and ages and ages yesterday and I read loads and loads and loads of these things and never ever saw anything about the wrath of God never saw anything about the wrath of God no we're trying to bring these people to Christ we're trying to show them that God is a God of grace and mercy and and forgiveness and that his son has received has been a sacrifice for our sins and has taken the wrath of God from us and yet we don't mention it and we wonder why they're not running to Christ because even though the unbeliever as an excuse not to know so much about the wrath of God there is also disdain inside the community of faith you know there are some in the community of faith which make a distinction between the bloodthirsty angry tribal God of the Old Testament and the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who in love sent his son to teach us that God is love and it is the fatherhood of God that wins through in the New Testament you only put it like that you do think that there's two gods the God of the Old Testament would stamp on you and tread you into the dirt as good as look at you and the God of the Old Testament that will embrace you you know there are many in the Christian faith who would bring this distinction and teach this distinction you know Paul of course he was a stickler for the Old Testament in fact it was the only Bible he had he didn't have the New Testament perhaps that's why he wrote it 
because he didn't have it. And he wrote the New Testament, but of course his whole life was brought up in the Old Testament. So he knew this bloodthirsty, angry, tribal God all too well. You know, and these people would sort of criticize and say, uh, well, yes, he, he came to Christ, but he never shared his attitude of the God that was in the Old Testament. That's why we have this verse here. The wrath of God is revealed because he's arcing back to the Old Testament all time. And they put this wedge between him and Jesus. Oh, Jesus comes in. And he's full of love and compassion and warmth. And he's so different from Paul because Paul is full of wrath and judgment. And there's this wedge that has been placed between them. You wonder, for these people to suggest such wrath is blasphemous. You know, there are those, of course, who believe that there is such a thing as the wrath of God. Of course there is now being evangelicals and we are evangelicals in this place today simply means that we believe the Bible evangelicals believe the Bible from cover to cover and who would uh, deny that the wrath of God is found in the scriptures so it has to be so we have to believe in the wrath of God says the evangelicals but then they are and we got to be careful We've got to be careful with this wrath of God. As if we wield it. You know, and we want to shield people from it. You know, we're going to stand in the way. You know, the news for them is that Jesus already done that for us. He stood in the way of the wrath of God for us. We aren't going to do that. But we must be awful careful. Not to put people off. Not to put up a barrier. You know, you modern young person. I thank God for modern young persons. Because modern young persons change the whole of Scripture for us. Because we look at them and think, and we look at the Scripture and think, no, we can't do that. We can't do what we did last, last generation. Because this is a new, modern young people's generation. And of course, modern young people will not accept the notion that hearts back to the Middle Ages. What are we here for? We are here to attract people to God, not throw obstacles in their way. But the question is that we can ask ourselves tonight. Do we believe it or not? Do we believe it or not? Do we believe that God is a God of wrath or not? Do we believe the scripture when Paul says, For the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness. Do we believe it or not? If we don't, then that's okay. Carry on regardless. If you don't believe that God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness, well, go, go your way and carry on regardless. But if we do, like the evangelicals say, then shouldn't we be those people who warn other people? Is it right that we keep such things away from those who one day it will affect? Do you know that one day they will feel the wrath of God. And it's heavy. And it's painful. And they can turn to us and say, Why didn't you warn us if you knew about it? Ah, but we didn't want to put a barrier in your way. We didn't want to distract you. We wanted to attract you. But you didn't warn us. No, we didn't think it was right to warn you. 
We've got to talk about the love of God and the warmth of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. We didn't think that the wrath of God would be palatable to you. You wouldn't have come in through our door if we talked about the wrath of God. Probably you wouldn't have come tonight if you thought that I was being a preach on the wrath of God. It isn't the most pleasant of subjects. But is it right that we keep such things to ourselves? Shouldn't we be telling those people that they need to find salvation in Christ because the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness? Are we being deceitful when all the time we should be cruel to be kind? Isn't this really where we should start? Isn't this really where we should start? You know, according to Paul, in this his greatest explanation of the gospel, I said that at the beginning of our studies in Romans, that Romans could be called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the real gospels that we know of, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, was a story of his life. But Romans is the reason of his life. Tells us why he came. He came because he knows about the wrath of God. And that only his sacrifice upon the cross can avert that wrath from all of us. You know, in his greatest explanation of the gospel, it is of the utmost and most pressing importance that people know where they stand in relationship to a holy God. And for those who would separate the God of the old with the God of the new, should read Revelations. Because the last time I looked, Revelations was in the New Testament. And if you think the Old Testament is full of the wrath of God, then pop over to the Revelations and see what real wrath is like. See what real wrath is like. You know, the wrath of the Old Testament could be compared with a walk in the park to what's prophesied in the things that are to come. Warn them. Of course we should be warning them. It would be deceitful not to know it and not warn people. You know, first he wants us to know that God's righteousness condemns us and his wrath is quite literally upon us. You know, if we learn nothing else tonight, that's what we need to go home with. God's righteousness condemns the world and his wrath is quite literally upon us. You know what? I, I mentioned a verse just uh, uh, at the beginning that Christ said, He who believes in the Son, listen to the words, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. But he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God will come upon him. No. The wrath of God abides upon him. Paul doesn't say that the wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness. But he says the wrath of God is revealed. And do you know the next few verses to the end of chapter 1 will show us how the wrath of God is revealed today. And when we go through it, and you can read it for yourselves, of course, you will look out onto this nation that we belong to, and you will realize 
that God's wrath is already here. It's already having an effect upon people. To finish, how do we react to this verse? That's the question. Are we going to be true to God's word and address the plight of man? Or are we going to soft soak people into the kingdom? If that's possible. No, I leave, leave it to you to mull over for a week. You can read it for yourself. You know, this subject is set to roll and roll for a while. Just as the being ashamed of the gospel rolled and rolled for a couple of Thursday nights. So the warning tonight is that for the next few Thursday nights we will be dealing with how the wrath of God is revealed in our day upon our nation, upon our neighbours, upon our friends and family. How God's wrath sort of stacks up in our society. You know, the warning is there and of course um, it might only be me and you again here. <laughs> next week and they go I know I don't want to go and listen to all that stuff again well how do we react to such a verse that is the question we're going to sing a song to finish